I am not uh, completely sure why, but the, the older I've gotten, the more and more I have come to appreciate Thanksgiving. But it always wasn't that way. It, it didn't used to always be my, my favorite holiday. In fact, I have vivid memories of the long drive, the long drive as, as a kid from my parents' house in San Diego up to, to Orange County, to Irvine, where their cousin lived, the extended family, who I knew but didn't know all that well. I just remember thinking, this is the longest drive in the world. And later this week, my kids are going to be thinking the exact same thing as we drive to Grandma and Papa's house and our in-laws, my in-laws. This year will be my 10th year of making uh, a Thanksgiving turkey, and it is serious business in our family, to the point that I, I actually practiced over this weekend. So I've, I've made one turkey already to make sure that I get it right on, on, on Thursday. And my, my, my mother-in-law and I, we always have this, this competition. I've talked about it here before, but she has an unfair advantage. She roasts her turkey every year in her grandmother's roaster. 75 years, over 75 years of seasoning sitting in this roaster. It is an unfair advantage. So I always feel like I'm kind of starting a, a few feet behind her. We'll see how it goes. I'll, I'll let you know next week. But my recipe, it turned out pretty good. It turned out pretty good. My guess, it'll take about 10 minutes to get on the road on Wednesday for my kids to ask the same question that I used to ask when I was a kid. Can you guess what that question was? Are we there yet? Wow, choir. Are we there yet? The same question that I imagine was asked as the Israelites wandered, as they looked over the, the promised land, as they, they talked, as Moses and Joshua reached out to them, to the, the elders of Israel. They said, are we there yet? When are we going to get there? How long until we get there? At one point, I'm, I'm guessing it's a question that we have all asked. If not in a, a, a literal journey, though, I'm sure we've been sitting in an airport and we've thought, when am I getting on this airplane? Or sitting in the car, sitting in traffic, when are we going to get there? But I'm sure it's a question we've all asked on other journeys as well. Our professional life. Our, our, our family life. Our life together as a church, are we there yet? Over the last few weeks, we have been exploring our collective journey together. And as a church, as, as Ed said, we exist to invite all people to follow Jesus on a journey of faith, friendship, and service. And during the first week of the series, we talked about what it means to, to invite, what, what, what it means that when we extend that invitation. What are we inviting someone into? And we talked about how every time that we extend that invitation to journey with somebody else, to journey with them, we're only able to do it because of the grace that God has given to us. And so we say, hey, journey with us, not because we have it all together. None of us has it all together. But we say, hey, let's, let's journey together. God's grace, it's meant a lot in my life. And, and, and here, here. God's grace is also important in your life. So let's figure this out together as we journey. And last week we began talking about how we journey together. So we celebrate and worship each and every week, whether it's here in person or online, that we, we celebrate and worship. That's one way that we, we journey together. And while we fully recognize that, that none of us can be here every single Sunday, we still commit to it. 
We still commit to it as a church. We say this is a part of how we journey together. We celebrate in worship each and every week. We, we serve others. This is what we looked at last week. We, we serve others. Whether it's our, our neighbor, whether it's someone in our congregation, or, or someone who lives on the clear other side of the world, a part of the way that we journey together as a church is by serving other people. By offering others a glimpse of God's kingdom breaking into our world. We serve others. And this morning we're talking about how we gather and how we grow. That a part of journeying together is gathering and growing in faith. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus, he, he, he gathers people together and for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes he gathers them together for intentional teaching. Sometimes it's, it's preaching. Sometimes it's with a small group. Sometimes it's, it's, it's intentional teaching. Uh, other times it's a meal. He gathers together for a meal. And, and sometimes, I, I have to imagine, it was simply for recreation, simply to have fun. And Jesus, he also encouraged continual growth. His first disciples, they asked that question often. Are we there yet? Is your kingdom coming? Is it, is it time? Where are you going? I want to go with you. And Jesus said, ah, not, not yet. Not yet. Jesus would respond with, that's not for you to know, or I'm going to a place that you can't go, but eventually you'll join me and, and I'll have a place prepared for you. That journey, it is it has long been continual, and it has long encouraged Jesus' followers to say, are we there yet? From a moment the, the disciples were called, they're, they're stretched and they're pulled. They didn't always have the answers. And yet, those first followers of Jesus, they set the tone for what it looks like to live in community with one another, to, to journey as a community with each other. And the way that they, they gathered together, the way that they committed to growing in faith, it shaped their community. Our second passage this morning, it, it picks up right after Pentecost. Peter, he had just explained to a, a massive crowd all, all that had happened. And he says, look, my friends aren't crazy. My, my friends aren't, aren't crazy. He, he recounts the details of Jesus' life he talks about Jesus' ministry. He talks about his crucifixion. He talks about the resurrection. And, and, and Luke writes that after he's done talking about here's everything that happened. Here's the big picture of this journey. The 3,000 people were added to that number that morning. And then we read this starting at Acts 2.42, a well-known passage. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So each and every Sunday, we include a, a set of questions that go along with the sermon. They're in your bulletin. They're also posted online as a, a reflection. And, and the point of this is to give you uh, an opportunity to, to reflect on, on God's word, to reflect on what you, what you heard, to, to, to spend some time kind of letting what happens here on Sunday morning sit with you throughout the week. And last week, the first question on that, that list, it asked a question about a person we would consider to be generous. There are two people who immediately came to my mind. I shared this on Wednesday with our, our sermon study group. That, that, that The first was my Uncle Dave. He, he's the one who passed away a few weeks ago. He was one of the most frugal people I have ever met when it came to himself. He, he worked at a hotel for over 50 years, 58 years, and he would bring home food from the hotel instead of going shopping. One of the most frugal people I have ever met. And yet when it came, when it came to generosity and to giving, he gave a lot. He gave, he gave a lot. I think it's because he worked as a bellman for over 58 years, but he was the most generous tipper I have ever met. Constantly the most generous tipper I've ever met. So he came to mind, and the second was a, a Malawian man, a, a family really, that um, had a suit tailored for me. When we lived in, in Malawi, we, I showed up the first Sunday, and I preached, and I wasn't in a clerical suit, and he said, you don't have a suit. And I said, no, I didn't bring it. And he said, well, let me make you one. I imagine that the church that Luke describes in Acts was full of, my people, full of people like my uncle and full of people like that, that family who, who made me a suit. It was a group of people who were generous. They were all in when it came to taking care of one another. Now, most translations, they're consistent with, with translating the first two words of Acts 2.42. We're told that they were devoted or committed to four things. The apostles' teaching, a common life, to breaking bread, and to prayer. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, a common life together, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Some translations go as far as to say that they were, were steadfast in their commitment to these four things, or that they gave their full attention. Everything was about these four things. If the early church had a, a mission statement or, or four strategy points, this is what they would be. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the common life together, to breaking bread and to prayer. That's what it would be for the early church. So first, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But what actually is Luke referring to here when he says the apostles' teaching? What does he mean? Later in Acts, we, we read that the leaders of the early church grounded their teaching in, in, in two truths and then built everything else off of those two truths. And the first of them was that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Jesus was the Savior. That's where it starts, the apostles' teaching. And then secondly, uh, that resurrection is only made possible through Jesus. It's pretty straightforward. Everything else was built on that foundation. Jesus is Savior. Resurrection is made possible because of Jesus. Everything else is built off of that foundation. 
It was, it was fairly clear, fairly concise, but in the same way that other teachers kind of sneak in, teachings kind of sneak in today, they, they did then as well. That's why Paul often warned churches against false teachers and that people would, would show up in towns and churches intentionally trying to lead others astray. One of the reasons that for us here at Westminster growing in faith is a stated strategy of how we journey together is that as a congregation... We are committed to, to establishing rituals, establishing rhythms that help us to grow in our faith each and every day. To remind us of who Jesus is each and every day. So whether it's prayer, whether it's devotionals, whether it's being a part of a small group or, or watching a Bible study through Right Now Media, we, we are committed to using our resources to help you to grow in faith each and every day. To help all of us to grow in faith each and every day. A few years ago, I read that only 45% of people who attend church weekly pick up their Bible more than once a week. 45% of people who attend church every every. Sunday or regularly pick up their Bible every week. The same research said that one in five churchgoers never read the Bible outside of Sunday morning. So raise your hand. I'm joking. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. Just this, this last week, there was a, an uproar among my, my pastor friends, my Bible scholar friends, um, all over a final Jeopardy answer. Did any of you see this? And you see this? Okay, so uh, here, here was the answer. Paul's letter to them is the New Testament epistle with the most Old Testament quotations. Any of you, any of you see this? This was Final Jeopardy. It's a big deal, apparently. And there were three contestants with three different answers. Who are the Hebrews? Who are the Philippians? Who are the Romans? Now you're all, you're all wondering what those would be, right? It's time to test our, our biblical literacy. How many of you think it's Hebrews? How many of you already know the answer to this because you paid attention? Yeah, yeah. How many of you think it's Hebrews? How many of you think it's Philippians? It's okay. How many of you think it's Romans? You've been paying attention the last year. That's really good. Um, the outcry among pastors and people who, who know their Bible came because Jeopardy picked Hebrews as the answer. And the vast majority of scholars don't think that Paul even wrote Hebrews. The vast majority of scholars believe that it's an anonymous, anonymous letter. That it might even be just, just some of Paul's disciples, more than one, or, or somebody else all together. But that's not what got me. What got me was that even if Paul wrote Hebrews, I don't think that he did, it's not the correct answer. We spent the better part of the last year looking at the correct answer. It's Romans. Roman, even if you're just looking at citations of the Hebrew Scripture, it's still Romans. It's still Romans. The folks at Jeopardy have a clear biblical literacy problem, and they probably do well to add a, a biblical scholar or two to their research staff. But it's not just Jeopardy. It's not just Jeopardy. This is true in the church today. It's, it's true in the church today as well. So one of my challenges or encouragements for us this week is pretty simple. Set aside some time to read Scripture. 
Devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. If you've never read your Bible on your own, start, start with a few minutes a day, a minute a day. Flip to John. Read through the first few chapters of John. Maybe you used to read consistently but have stopped for one reason or another. Advent is a great time to pick that up. Advent, remember, that starts next Sunday right after Thanksgiving. If we want to grow in our faith, an important part of that journey is, is, is picking up our Bible. Luke also said that the church in Acts devoted themselves to, to a common or a, a shared life. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to gathering, to get bagels after church together. Right, high schoolers. The, the word here, it literally means to partner. They partnered with one another. At Pentecost, when the Spirit comes and the apostles begin preaching in different languages, their, their community, it begins to form. And some have argued that the real miracle of, of Pentecost, I think there's, there, there's, there's good reason to think this, the real miracle of Pentecost is that you brought together so many people from so many different backgrounds, from so many different cultures, and they partnered together. They, they still had all their differences. But they came together and they, they fellowshiped with one another and they created this community based on the apostles' teaching was, yes, Jesus is the Messiah and yes, resurrection is made possible because of him. All started there. They partnered in that with all of their different cultural backgrounds. The earliest Christians, they lived and they functioned as a family and we know all of our families have differences. After I graduated from college, I, I lived with uh, two of my closest friends that I grew up with in an apartment, and we had known each other for a, a really long time, and we're, we're still actually good friends today. We, we would share lots of things, our couch, our TV, our plates, our silverware. But if you opened the fridge or the pantry, it was covered with labels, covered with labels. There was... Jay's bread. Jason, they were both named Jay. It was really confusing. Jay's bread. Jason's milk. Dave's tortillas. And if you ate somebody else's, there, there, would, be, there would be wrestling on that shared couch. There would be wrestling on that shared couch. Looking back at it, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. It's really easy to laugh about it. But the reality is that there's a risk of kind of treating the church the same sort of way. We'll turn to the students and we'll say, oh, oh, you guys can't lead worship. That's for adults. Fortunately, we don't, we don't really say that, but, but sometimes that happens. Hey, you, you don't belong here. That's, that's for adults. That's big church. Or, or one group of adults will turn to another and say, oh, you can't use that room. That's, that's our room. Or Darv will come to church on Sunday and say, you can't sit there. That's my chair. Darv wouldn't really say that. Before long, instead of our, our leaders kind of coming to session together to discern where God is moving our whole congregation, that is the point of our, our session meetings, discern where God is moving us together as a whole congregation. Instead of showing up to do that, if we get to that place that we're, we're spatting over what is ours, we, we show up and we think, okay, it's my turn. I've got to defend my turf. Again, fortunately, this church does a pretty good job in that department, but there's always room to improve. The way we view our time, our talents, our resources, individually, as well as collectively, as a congregation, 
determines how we view stewardship. If we looked at what we have and we say, ah, God, thank you for this. Thanks, thanks for making me this way. Thanks for giving me this, this talent. Thanks for blessing me with these resources. It's much easier to share, to be generous. On the other hand, if we, we cling to what we own because it's ours or because we've, we've earned it or we built it, it's going to be a lot harder to be the sort of community that Luke talks about here in Acts. That church also committed themselves to the regular breaking of bread, gathering around the table, having a meal. It's a tangible expression of the work of the Holy Spirit. What if every time you gathered around a meal, when you guys go to get bagels, when, when we have the meal at Thanksgiving, that we thought, hey, this is a tangible expression of the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that look like? And when we invite others to join us in that act, we're extending hospitality. We're inviting all people. We're saying, hey, come, come experience the Holy Spirit as we break bread together. Meals were incredibly important to Jesus and to his ministry. In the Gospel of Luke, we read of at least ten separate times that he sat down at the table. And each time, something significant happens. He debates theology with the religious. He breaks social, social norms by eating with folks who the rest of society saw that as outcasts. He instituted the Lord's Supper. All around the table, all tangible expressions of the Holy Spirit being with us. There's some debate about whether or not the breaking of bread is, is referring to the sacrament here, that they got together and they, they, they had communion with one another, especially because later in, in verse 46 we read that they broke bread in their homes and they were together with sincere hearts. I tend to think that Luke maybe was just referring to both, to both. When Acts was written, the, the tradition was to say a blessing around the table in the same way that many of us give thanks today. It was in the act of saying that blessing that the common meal became a sacred activity. And in continually, to, continually celebrating the Lord's Supper, the early church is reminding themselves that Jesus' death and resurrection are again at the center of everything. It gets back to that devotion to apostles' teaching. So later this week or later today, when you sit down for a meal, maybe it's as simple as saying, all right, I'm, I'm going to say a blessing here. I'm going to give thanks for what the Spirit is doing today. Lastly, the church described in Acts, they, they were committed to, to prayer. Whenever we, we commit ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to common life, to, to the breaking of bread, but reject prayer, we, we forget the one who calls us to those things. We forget our place. We forget that we're dependent on God for all that we have and that we owe him thanks for everything that we've been given. As the early church starts to live into its new identity, as they begin to gain momentum, there's this newness, there's this excitement. And like with anything new, it would have been really easy for that to be derailed. So here, as well in verse 46, we're told that they continue to meet where they were told they continue to meet in the temple courts to, to, to celebrate and worship. We're reminded that they stay committed to one of the traditions of their ancestors, 
to prayer. One of the things that I, I, I love about this, this church is that we, we take prayer seriously when a need arises. Whether it's the Stevens ministers who have prayer stations during communion every month. Or the, the prayer chain email that, that circulates anytime something comes up. Or whether it's someone just stopping by the, by the office and saying, hey, would you mind praying with me? Prayer, it's an opportunity for us to come together to approach the throne of God. And it's important when we have needs to do that, but it's important at other times too. Prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of gratitude, prayers of direction that we're we're taking as a church, or as we talked about last week, prayers for the workers of the harvest, even if we don't know who they are. The results of the early church and their, their devotion and their, their commitment, they, they were tangible. They were filled with awe, inspired by what God was doing in and through their community. There was this sense of unity. Again, even in the midst of everyone having a different cultural background, there was a, a sense of unity. They, they came around together around their devotion and commitment. Needs of all kinds were met. They sold what they had to take care of one another. And because there was excitement and because needs were met, their church grew in number. Now, a lot of conversations around the church, specifically in in today's context, they they start here. They, They start with the results. And we often say, hey, we, we want those types of results. We want excitement. We want to be united. We, we, we want to be a community that meets others' needs. And, and we want to be growing numerically. We start with the results. But we forget about the journey. We forget about the journey. The, the four commitments, the four devotion, things that they were devoted to that, that got them to this place. So as we talk about our, our journey together here at Westminster, we need to remember it's rarely a, a linear, straight, straight path, right? I think of the Israelites wandering around in the desert, kind of waiting, looking, waiting some more. Are we there yet? There's a reason this, this graphic has the map kind of going all over the place. So we need to be honest with that, and we also need to be honest with our, our, our devotion and with our commitment. When are we gathering? When are we gathering together? Who are we inviting to be a part of that gathering? Where are we serving others? And who are we serving? What are we doing to grow in our faith? And how are we celebrating all that God is doing as we worship together. Let's pray. Loving God, we, we thank you for the opportunity we are given to journey together. Thank you for the ways you've been with us, the ways that you've been with this community in the past, the ways that you are with us now and today, and the ways that you will be with us in the future. We pray these things in your name. Amen.